But when we go into this thinking, you know what? Even if my neighbor never takes a step towards God, the command to love my neighbor still stands. We go into this going like, this is a discipline. Like Jesus wants us to be present in our neighborhoods. He wants us to engage and love the people that live around us. He wants us to be friends with them. Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. It's great to be back here with you again. So before we jump into our interview today, which by the way, I'm really excited about, I want to ask a favor of you. Wherever you get podcasts, it would be fantastic if you could hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. I hope this content has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been for me. Learning from these awesome people we've had on the show is really such a privilege, and our guest today is no exception. So if you're joining us for the first time, Welcome. It's great to have you here on the Strategic Families Podcast. We explore the life-giving and challenging aspects of building a family that honors the Lord Jesus Christ and is on mission for Him. This is a high and holy calling, and we need encouragement and challenge and tips along the way. Our aim is to help you, the parents, to be intentional and strategic with how you raise your family because we all want our families to be aligned with God's heart, but we can get so easily distracted and derailed in this effort. But if we lean into it by God's grace, we will be able to see Him work in and through our families in ways that only He can. And that is a really thrilling idea. We want to help make that a reality for your family, and we're so glad you've chosen to join us as we learn together. So my guest today is Dave Runyon, one of the authors of a fantastic book called The Art of Neighboring. Okay, full disclosure here, this book came out back in 2012, so it's not new, but I wasn't podcasting at the time, so here we are. This is an awesome, awesome book and so very much in line with what we're all about here on the Strategic Families Podcast. As Christian families, we have amazing opportunities all around us to shine the light of Christ, and what better place to start than with the people in proximity to us, our neighbors. This book is really practical, but also carries with it a really big, important idea. This call to be good neighbors is right at the heart of what Jesus commands us to do, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. As Dave reminds us in this episode, this includes our actual neighbors. And if we're honest with ourselves, we in the church have a lot of work to do in this regard. I highly recommend this book, and I think you'll find it a huge blessing as you seek to love your neighbors well. Before we jump in, quick reminder, if this podcast has been a blessing for your family, you can check out our show notes to find a link to our Patreon page to support production of the podcast. All right, on to the show. Well, Dave Runyon, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Graham. Awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm so glad we had this opportunity. I love this book that you and Jay Pathak have written, and we're going to get into all those details and just dive into that and try to encourage our listeners with how to be an excellent neighbor. But before we do all that, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us who you are, what you do for a living, and of course, all about your family. Yeah, you bet, Graham. So I live out here in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. I run a nonprofit that helps faith and government and business leaders work together, mostly around issues with the working poor in our area. And I also travel around the country and help leaders think about working together to make the gospel tangible in their uh, communities. And so uh, my wife, Lauren, and I have been married for 22 years. We have four kids. I have a son like you. I have a son and three daughters. Our son is the oldest. Uh, we just dropped him off at Montana State University. 
10, 11, 12 days ago. So that's fresh. Mm. And then we have three girls. Uh, I have a daughter that's 17. She's going to be a senior in high school this year. A daughter that's 15. That's going to be a freshman or that is a freshman in high school this year. And then our youngest is Emery and she is in eighth grade this year. So we've got our hands full. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. All right. So it sounds like your family is probably five to seven years or so ahead of my family. So that means, you know what that means? You have to pass on everything you've learned. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will. I will say this, Graham. Taking to college is a sobering and reflective experience. And you're going to be in this moment in a few years, you'll sit down and you'll be writing a letter to your son, his freshman year and thinking about what is it that you want to really pack? What is it that you want to remind him of? And I just, my wife and I drove nine and a half hours back afterwards. And one of the things that we talked about is so much of parenting is just the tyranny of the urgent, right? You're responding to things, you're reacting. And I think we've done an okay job of like getting clear of like, what are, what are some of the things that we really want to dive, you know, that we want to drill in and focus on. Um, But we came back from that experience going, okay, let's get really clear. Like of all the things that, that we want, like what are like the five or six things? So we've been kind of thinking and brainstorming, what five or six things do we want to make sure that our three girls know the moment that they leave and that we're almost like when we write the letter to them, we want to write the letter and be like, Hey, you already know all this because we <laughs> have been so repetitive about it. That's right. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think That's being fantastic. really, really intentional about what we're doing. Uh, I know there's a great book out there. John Tyson wrote a book I think called the intentional father. Um, that's mm. worth picking up and, and taking yeah. a look at. There's all kinds of great resources that are out there, but I just, I don't know. It's been really good for us. That that whole that whole dropping off the oldest to college was like a great reminder yeah. um, and kind of clarity moment for us of uh, uh, coming back here and really trying to put some things on paper. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. My wife, Katie, her parents have talked about that a lot. They they realize a lot when they drop their first one off for college. It's a it's one of those hash mark in the timeline of life kind of moments mm-hmm. that you never forget. Anyway, yeah, that's um wow, that's a big deal. So, all right. Yeah. Remember, I'm relying on you for all the advice over the next few years. So, <laughs> no, that's great. So, yeah, let's let's get into this book a little bit. I know this book has been out for a while. It's called The Art of Neighboring. I love this book. You guys just did such a fantastic job of encouraging people to be good neighbors. And I love, by the way, I love that you turned neighboring into a verb. I don't know if that had been done before to neighbor <laughs> someone. I think that's great uh, yeah. to, to be an excellent neighbor. And it seems to me that the premise of your book is that, you know, this is what we're called to as believers in our neighborhoods. We're called to love our neighbor and not just, you know, people out there, but people right around us. And sometimes, and you guys point out in the book, that can be, those can be some of the most difficult relationships, but we got to start somewhere. And if we want to be salt and light, it involves opening up our homes and getting outside of our homes. And so anyway, I want to, I want to dive into some of the excellent, excellent points that you guys make in that book. But I thought if, you know, I, and I covered a little bit of, you know, how I see the book, but I would love for you to share your purpose in writing it and the background. How did you guys come to this concept and what were you, you know, hoping to achieve with the book? Sure. Well, the book, I mean, I, I like your summary. It's really good. Uh, my the, the other summary, I'll dumb it down even further, would be like, hey, if you're a Christian and the whole big idea of like 
following God is to love God, your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor uh, as yourself. If, if that's true, then it might be a good idea to actually know your neighbor's name. <laughs> so Let's start there. <laughs> that, that's like, that's basically the whole book. You don't even have to read it now. You have to buy it. <laughs> uh, no, but this, I, I had this epiphany way later in, in life of like that place really matters. And that there's something sacred happening right outside my front door. And I was so mm. um, busy doing different things. Some of it was our kids' activities. Some of it was serving on different nonprofit boards. Some of it was being at work. Some of it, you know, I just wasn't really present in my own neighborhood. And and God just convicted me around this idea of like, like when he, Jesus says to love your neighbor, he means our actual neighbors too. Um, and so my wife and I um, just started down this road of, learning all of our neighbors' names, and then just praying this dangerous prayer, which is, God, what's the next small step that you want us to take with one of our neighbors? And and just doing that has opened up our world into this whole community that exists. We live on this cul-de-sac with 42 homes. I know um, a lot of the listeners might live in an apartment or a townhome. Some of you might live in a rural area. Um, no matter who you are, you have neighbors. Yeah, And it looks different. The approaches look different. Um, but for Lauren and I, and for our kids, it has been a, it's just been a transformative, um, practice of just being in our neighborhood and engaging with the people that live around us and then just seeing where we go from there. And so, um, and it's been, it's been like a breath of fresh air for me of like, I have spent some time in different ministry circles and stuff like that. It's really easy for me to drift into a place where I'm hanging out with people who all think about the world the way that I do. Uh, one of the amazing things about literal neighboring is that if you do it, you're guaranteeing yourself that you're going to be spending time with people who think about the world differently than you do, yes. who have a different faith backgrounds than you do. And I think like in this insane um, time of kind of polarization in our culture, the antidote is actually building relationships and being friends with people who don't think about the world the same way that you do. Mm. And I think we need a lot more of that. Yeah. Uh, right now. And neighboring has been a gift for us on that. It's also just been a gift to our kids. Well, first of all, our kids have been a gift to us in neighbor, like kids in neighboring, it's cheating. Um, they have no fear, <laughs> you know, they, they have no fear. They're usually out there. They tend to be a lot more visible than sometimes yeah. their parents do. And so our kids were just a gift. They, they helped us connect with so many of our neighbors just because we started wanting to get to know the families of the people that our kids were spending time with. And so, yeah. Um, so for any of you, all of you that have kids, uh, kids and dogs, right? Dogs, you have, was... to be out there walk, you have to be out there walking. So you're, you're, vis- you're more visible. You start having conversations with people and then kids. So we always say kids and dogs are cheating. That's so, so funny. You say that because we started watching Katie's parents dog a couple of years ago and we took her out for a walk one night and saw all these people in our neighborhood, you know, some of whom we knew, some we hadn't met. And it was just like, wow, having a dog is a great way to meet neighbors. That, that was sort of yeah. an epiphany for me. So, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Sure. I wonder if you could share the story. You guys share this in the book, but I think it's worth telling because he talked about meeting with a community leader there in Colorado and how that spurred you guys to think about how the church can be involved. Could you tell that story real quick? Yeah, I mean, part of my work was gathering pastors and leader, you know, faith leaders together to think about how could we change the city by working together. And we would bring in these government leaders and just say, "Will you, you know, show us the city through your eyes?" And so we had our mayor come in, and our mayor 
Um, we just said, hey, if you could wave a magic wand and mobilize all the people represented in this room and the body, you know, in our city, what what should we go after? And he said, you know, if you guys want to change our city the most, you should start a neighboring movement. And he had no, he wasn't thinking through the lens that like he was telling us to do the Bible, uh, but he <laughs> But he was telling us to do the Bible. It was, right. like, it was really convicting. It was a, a huge moment for me that kind of set me on this journey of just kind of going back to the basics and thinking about proximity. And yeah. I, I think one of the things right away when I heard him say that, and I started to kind of confront some of the reasons why I hadn't been doing it. I think I just knew, you know, it's easier for me to go down to the rescue mission in town and to volunteer and to serve some meals and then come back into my neighborhood than it is yep. for me to actually start to engage the people that are right around me, because right. it can get messy, right? You don't know yeah. what's going on behind those doors. Those people are always there. They see me at my best and my worst as a dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a it's a lot more integrated and holistic uh, approach. And sure. I think that's the reason why I didn't do it for a long time. Because I was like, I don't know. I, I don't want to get to know these people too well. Like, who knows where that's going to lead? <laughs> so, so we um, we're guarded sometimes like that yeah Yeah. i think so i think so yeah you know one of the things i love about your book is that it's not just like a how to like there are there are tons of great suggestions and i do want to get into those but you also you know i would say that you encourage people to have a certain kind of posture towards your neighbors and that you also have to think differently about like you said proximity and what it's going to mean to be involved in your community. And one story that you shared that I thought was so uh, impactful and it really struck a chord with me was about sports. Can you talk about how you guys sort of wrestled with sports? And and this is not, you know, I know this is not going to be an absolute statement about, you yeah. know, travel sports and all that, but I just loved how you guys thought intentionally about that and what it might mean for your neighboring. Could you could you share your thought process there? Yeah, and I'm going to be really honest because a lot's happened since those last 10 years since we kind of, you know, first wrote about experiencing some of the tension around this. I, first of all, I have a like really unhealthy relationship with sports. Um, <laughs> I just want to, I just want to state that right now. So I, they are <laughs> a huge part, huge, part, huge part of my life early on in my career. I was a high school teacher and then coached uh, baseball and, and golf and like, kind of thought that was going to be my life. Um, so I I feel like I have a good understanding of kind of the youth sports culture. And I, my wife and I, my wife was, uh, you know, was a college athlete at Auburn and was been, so like, I just want to say that before you, it's not, I, this isn't somebody who's just like an anti, anti-sports culture guy that's coming out <laughs> this. And, and we still experience a lot of tension around this. But one of the things that happened early on is we started to realize and think about, well, you know, if you're going to be a good neighbor, you actually have to be in your neighborhood. And so I started thinking about a lot of the different things that were taking us out of our neighborhood and what would it look like to live with a little bit more balance, which is a little bit slower pace. You know, I mm-hmm. think one of the best things uh, that we can share with our neighbors is that uh, there's a different way to live. We don't have to live in this hectic rat race all the time. Yeah. And so when my son, who it was the one that we just dropped off for college. Um, so he must've been eight, nine years old. Um, I was coaching his baseball team and thinking about all of the different 
like forts in the road that we decide, you know, with our kids of like, what are we going to say yes to? And what are we going to say no to? And at that point, he had that opportunity. That's like eight, nine, 10 is where you're starting to think about, are we going to do the club thing? And what is that going to mean for us financially? What's that going to mean for us time-wise? Sure. And at that point, we were just at a place where we just felt like, in, instead of going the club route at this age and going and playing on this team where he would have been around a lot better players and been challenged a lot more and then practiced a lot more and all that kind of, and gotten better, what if we just... What if we just did the rec thing where it kind of places you geographically with other families and it won't be as good. Like he probably won't get like, uh, you know, he probably won't reach his full potential in that year that he could reach. And so what does it look like to say, okay, here's the cost. Here, here's the cost of, of like what it would take. And then here's what we're giving up. And so we just kind of sat back and, and we made that decision and we played rec and my neighbor and I coached these kids. And, and it was, it was one of those things that we, we had like eight games total that we played that year <laughs> and like practiced what practice once a week and then before sure, the game. Yeah. And so from like the competitive athletic development standpoint, it was not very strong, but what it did to save kind of like some of the rhythms that our family were in um, was massive. Sure. And, and now my girls and are a lot older and they're playing club soccer and they're running around doing that. And my wife and I have a love, hate, mostly hate relationship with it. Like most club sports parents do. <laughs> um, but I just think when I loved that we were able to push it off. That's what I would say is that it's not, I'm not, it's not like, Hey, I'm never going to do club sports. or I'm not going to do and all that stuff, but just like to make some intentional decisions early on. And what I would just encourage parents to do is like it. If you can wait a couple years, you're not going to regret it. Yeah. Like, you know, like if your kid's like really driven and they're super into it and they want to do that, that's great. You know, walk with them and encourage them and do that. Yeah. Um, but like you won't regret waiting. Yeah. Uh, neither, neither will your bank account. Um, and neither, <laughs> n- neither will your calendar. Yeah. So, but I just think, I think Graham, if we're experiencing that tension, it means we're winning. So yeah. if, if like it's worth taking a step back and thinking about, and doing an audit on your time and on what you're up to and what your kids are up to. And to just say, okay, what's the tension? You know, how do we want to live? What kind of, you know, what kind of margin do we want to have in our life? Yeah, and right. is what we're doing with sports allowing us to have that? And yeah. so just asking the question of being in tension is, is a win. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. And I think the reason I love that story is because you guys were counting the opportunity costs, if you will. I mean, it's sort of an economic term, but it applies to time too. Yeah. You're thinking like, okay, if we do this, which is not a bad thing in itself, of course, we could do this and we could do it awesomely. We could do it to the glory of God. Like all that could be true, but you also look at, okay, what is that going to keep us from doing? And I think that's what struck a chord with me so much is that it, it sounds like you guys determine, all right, well, if we do this, it's going to be much harder to be the kind of neighbors that we feel like God is calling us to be yeah. in our you know, particular context right now. And um, I just thought that was really cool because, you know, that's helping us face something that is true about neighboring. It takes time. It, we've got to be in people's lives. Yeah. And, but if, if that's, if that's what the Lord's called us to, and it, it really seems like it is, then we need to invest that time. And that may mean saying no to some good things. So anyway, I just, I, I love that story. I think it sets the stage really well. Okay. So 
next piece of this that I thought would be helpful to explore a little bit is the barriers. And you talked a little bit about this. It can get messy, but I thought it would just be good to state some of those up front. Like, what are some of the things that hold us back as believers, really as as individuals, but particularly as believers, when we think about engaging our neighbors, what, what are the some of the stumbling blocks that that, that make us kind of hold back and keep inside our four walls? Yeah, I, I mean, the biggest one is just fear. I think that we're, we're just like, we don't, we know, like, relationships are messy. Yeah. Especially if the relationships just randomly placed around us. Like, we don't choose, like, what those people value or what they're into or any of that kind of stuff. And I'm just going to tell you, like, being, like, a, a, a part of our neighborhood and in a meaningful way, um, has just put us around a lot of families who agree or and disagree with how they want to raise their kids and how what they want their kids exposed to. And so I've there's been there's been more times that I can count where I'm like sitting there in our neighborhood, our kids are by, and one a neighbor says like a joke that's like inappropriate or they're using language. <laughs> right. They're like, yeah, earmuffs, earmuffs, or they're using language, you know, and I used to kind of like, I used to be like, oh, there'd be like a part of me going, oh, I was really hoping my, you know, I was really hoping my daughter would hear that word like four years from now and we'd be <laughs> having that discussion or three years from now. Um, but I'm just going to tell you this, Graham, the gift, one of the gifts of, of like really building community in our neighborhood and doing life with these people is that we're in the game with our kids. It didn't happen on some playground, some remote place. I was like right there. Yeah. Um, and I was able to have like that conversation, answer some of those questions. And my wife and I have just chosen to kind of look at it as like, yeah, it, maybe, you know, maybe being in a relationship with, with the people, some of these people is like exposing our kids to things that are really different things that, that we have differences in or opinions on, but we're, we're able to process it with them first person. And because we were actually there in the game with them. And that for us has been, has been really, really helpful. And it's that, it's that tension, right? I mean, we all want our kids to have healthy friendships around people who are going to be lifting them up. And we always tell our kids, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right. So that <laughs> we, we got to live, we got to live with that in tension with the fact that like Jesus like lived in a way in which he regularly spent time with people who made all the religious people uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, by, by the way, that's the spiritual discipline that nobody ever talks about. Like, so we always talk about, oh, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, he prayed a lot and he does solitude. He was in the word and he broke bread with others. You know what Jesus did a lot is he was always making the religious people uncomfortable because of who he was hanging out with. <laughs> right. Right. And so I think, I think acknowledging now, like when I was a, when I was a high school student, 16, I had a youth pastor tell me, he said, Dave, you you need to be way more discerning. I'm really worried about you and who you're hanging with. And like, these people don't seem to be having a great influence on you. And you have this choice over here. It was the exact thing I needed to hear as a 16 year old kid. Right. Uh, it was incredible advice. And so I'm not saying we should be throwing our kids into the mix sure. with, you know, people that are going to be tempting them to do other things, stuff like that. But I think sometimes we just swing the pendulum so far over and we live in this fear and we end up putting our kids in this little Christian bubble and then when they're away from us, they go out and it's just, everything's on the table. Right. And who knows if like, if, yeah. we, if we just protect them so much, I, I think we've all seen that happen where the kids kind of sure. just start to reel. And so like for us, the neighborhood has just been such an incredible gift in that 
it's brought all kinds of things to us and our kids and created conversations yeah. um, that I'm really, really grateful for. But if I, if we just want to live in fear, if we just want to like hang out and not spend time with people because of, Oh, they, they talk like this. I mean, I, I don't think it does. A, I think it's a disservice to our kids in the long run. Mm, yeah. Wow. What a great point. And not just a disservice to our kids in the long run, but also like you mentioned, not the way of Jesus. I mean, he, like you said, yeah. spent lots of time with people who did not think the same way that he did. He was yeah. ultimate salt and ultimate light in their lives. And um, yeah, wow. What, that's a great point. So, all right, Dave, I'm going to quote your book. I don't know if it was you or Jay who came up with this, but I love this quote and highlighted it in the book. But you guys said, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. That is marvelous. And I would love it if you could unpack that for us. What do you mean by that? How should that affect the way that we approach our neighbors? Yeah, well, and I'll give you credit to where it's due. It's not me or Jay. A uh, person who kind of like helped us process a lot of that was a guy named Eric Swanson. He's an author and he's done a lot of stuff with kind of uh, the externally focused church is a lot of his writing. But he just talked all the, all the time about this idea of like ulterior uh, versus ultimate motives. Mm. And... And here's the thing that I think really stinks in our culture today is that oftentimes when Christians do something nice for non-Christians, the non-Christian starts bracing for what weird things getting ready to happen. <laughs> right? Been, like, I hate this. I think, what track is coming next? This. Right. Yeah. Where, okay. Yeah. When, when are they going to give me the track? When are they going to ask me like, if I know where I'm going to go in a day? So like, honest there's been people in our tribe that have done a lot of weird things to non-believers and so non-believers are like uh, sometimes a little bit on edge when they first encounter us or they start to especially you know for somebody like me I'm, i do this quite christian non-profit thing and they kind of figure that out and they're like all right when's this when's this guy gonna start getting really weird and uncomfortable <laughs> uh, and so i think this this question of posture is really really important knowing that knowing that we are kind of moving into a post-christian culture um, where a lot of people are skeptical and have baggage with people from our, you know, particular faith stream. So I think just knowing that and understanding that and knowing that um, there might be some people that have Christians have done things in the past where it's like, Hey, I'm going to do this nice thing. And it always came with strings attached. I think what my wife and I, and, and a lot of my friends and Jay and his wife, others have realized is that, that, Approaching this as a discipline and not as some kind of evangelistic strategy is crucial. Mm -hmm. Like, like when people go into this and go, "Oh, I'm going to do this nice thing and then that nice thing, and then I'm going to be ready and I ask them this question." Like, like our neighbors just sniff that out, and it, right. it feels really, really uh, forced. But when we go into this thinking, you know what? Like, even even if my neighbor never takes a step towards God, the command to love my neighbor still stands. We go into this going like, this Absolutely. is a discipline. Like Jesus wants us to be present in our neighborhoods. He wants us to engage and love the people that live around us. He wants us to be friends with them. I mean, I think uh, Tim Keller said this one to you. He said, you know, I've heard a lot about this term, uh, friendship evangelism. And he said, I, I, I prefer just like to call it friendship. <laughs> and like to know that like when we're friends with people, we're curious about their stories and they are curious about ours. And it yeah. creates soil and context for us to be able to share the things that matter. And so of course yeah. I share with my neighbors, like I'm trying to, or I, I, all my neighbors know like, Hey, Dave thinks that like the way that Jesus talks about living is the best way to live. And he's trying to orient his life around that. And we, and that's given us so much cool space to have conversations. Yeah. Um, 
And there, and and then my ultimate motive, I'd love to see all of my neighbors like come to know Jesus in, in like a significant and profound and powerful way. But I'm not out there with this like ulterior motive, like kind of thinking, you know, playing some weird chess game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some of my neighbors, like, you know, they are, they like, they like being able to share what they think and they like hearing what I think. And they also like the sense of like, you know, Dave, one of my neighbors is like, Dave, what I like about you is, um, I don't get this sense that you're always trying to convince me that I have to think the exact way that you do. And, and he wasn't even talking necessarily about a spiritual thing there. We were talking about, uh, you know, something else. And, and so I think, and I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to convince him that he has to think the exact same way that I do about everything. And he's not doing that to me. Mm. And that's, that's been a really helpful posture as, as we've gone through a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the scripture that comes to mind, there's from, First John four, we love because he first loved us, you know, just thinking about like, like you said, the command still stands. If, if you knew that if you shared the gospel and they didn't accept Christ on the spot, would you say, okay, well then I'm just moving on to somebody else. I mean, obviously there is, there is awesome work in evangelism to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. But like you said, to love our neighbor right now, that command stands, even if they don't, you know, like you said, take a step towards God. I think that's just such yeah. a great, great point. And I'm really glad that you guys pointed that out. And I, I love also that you said, you know, some people can sniff that out if they feel like, you know, a project, nobody wants to feel like a project, you know, they're people right. and we need to treat them as people. And that's what Jesus did. So anyway, just fantastic point. All right. So now I want to get practical. I love this exercise that you guys have with the tic-tac-toe proximity kind of thing. Can you talk about that? Um, what, Tell us what it is, and then I know you've done this in a lot of different contexts. Tell us about the results that you've seen from it. Yeah. Well, I I would just say, as I mentioned before, like for me, the starting place with a lot of my neighbors was was just going and having a series of awkward, mildly awkward conversations. Of I'd met all my neighbors before, but what I had to come to realize after that moment with our mayor was that I didn't remember they weren't important enough to me for me to remember their names. Mm. And so, um, and I know a few of my neighbors' names, but there was all kinds of them that just drive by. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the dude in the blue truck uh, with the two <laughs> kids, and they play, you know, and they play, you know, football because I see the football, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. So, um, so yeah, the tic tac toe exercise is just like a little thing that we put on our refrigerator that was just like, here's the map of like, you know, my eight closest neighbors, and I'm going to start learning their names and I could have gone online and looked up their names and, but there's something about having a face-to-face interaction. There's something about just looking at somebody and going, you know, I know I've met you twice before. I know that we've lived next to each other for 18 months, but I forgot your name. And then to just write it down. Yeah. And so for us, just learning and retaining and using your neighbor's names is the starting place. If if that's all, if, if the only thing you do is that, you are, you'll be shocked at what happens in your neighborhood. And so mm-hmm. that's what we just encourage people to do is just to learn and retain and use people's names. I would just encourage you, you know, anybody listening, take a little piece of paper, stick it up on your refrigerator and just use it to write down and to, to remember your neighbor's names. And that, that'll take you a long, long ways. And from that, I, we just know that some of those some of those neighbors won't want to hang out with you. Some of those neighbors will be like, "Yeah, it's cool. 
we know each other's names and that's it. And they'll make that obvious to you. They're, they'll get home, their garage door goes up and then it goes down. And then they like, you don't see them until the next day when it does the same thing. And, so, yeah. um, and I, I, because I have some unhealthy competitive stuff in me, I used to like try harder with those neighbors. That's a bad use of your time. Don't, don't stalk your neighbors. Uh, <laughs> this it's the person of peace principle from Luke 10. Like, sure, yeah. Look towards where there's other people that lean towards you and, and then um, invest your time there. I think that's yeah. the best advice that, yeah. that I could give. Yeah, that's good. I remember in your book, I'm, I don't have the stats in front of me, but maybe you could encourage our listeners a little bit because I think someone might do this exercise and go, oh man, this is embarrassing. Like I only know one of my neighbor's names, but that's you know pretty consistent. It seems like from what you guys have found from yeah. doing this at different church settings. What, what have you found when people have done this? About like, 8% of people, 8% of Christians can write down the names of their eight closest neighbors. Mm. So that's not great. That's, <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's, that's not voting well for us as yeah. believers. Yeah. And, and the other thing that we've learned is like, because we do a lot of work with cities and city leaders, uh, whether it be police chiefs or city managers or mayors, um, none of those people that sit in those positions in our cities can see uh, a drastic difference in the way Christians and non-Christians treat their actual neighbors. Yeah, like that's that's really convicting for me. Yeah. Is to think like how if Jesus just says if you only do one thing, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor, and if that's like the clear in game and that's like the main thing then how do we make sense of the fact that like we're not known the believers aren't known by the people that are like running our cities as like mm. the best neighbors yeah or just significantly better than, than yeah. everybody else and so yeah. um yeah that's my my hope my prayer is that in small ways that, that believers will start to turn the tide on that yeah. and that we will start people that are in local government or people that are around us with a man. I can see like Christians are like really serious about yeah. the way that they live because we can see how it plays out in their own neighborhoods. Yeah. That's fantastic. What a great hope. I love how your book ties in this concept of neighboring with the great commandment to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to love your neighbor as yourself. It's so fantastic that we see our neighboring efforts in light of the great commandment. But, you know, it strikes me that, you know, it's not like we have have to have a sweeping plan to evangelize our neighborhoods to do neighboring well. We can start small. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. What is that or what can that look like to just sort of break the ice? Because honestly, I mean, in some cases, it's it, it can be a little embarrassing, like you said. I mean, we could live beside someone for five, 10 years and not know their names and then it gets awkward and then we kind of hole up. But what do you recommend? How do we how do we start? Yeah. One thing that you should consider is if you've got if there's been weird stuff that's happened between you and your neighbor, one great way to break the ice is to like be a Christian and like actually be go over and just go, Hey, listen, I know that we had some history. I'd love just to redo. I'd love to just reset things and try to reconnect. And like, so just to do something small that kind of offers an olive branch for those of you, I'm sure none of, none of our listeners yeah. here have ever had anything bad happen between them and one of their neighbors, but I'm sure there's yeah. never been an issue of a dog or anything <laughs> like that. But if, if 
hypothetically, <laughs> if there was, I would encourage you to do that. Um, let's just say that it's a neighbor, though, that you just had zero contact with or very little contact with. I think just if you're more visible and just a person that is, you know, just be normal. Like, that's it. Like, just like you see somebody, talk to them, ask them, like, hey, yeah. like, uh, are you getting ready to turn? I was just talking about one of my neighbors yesterday. I was like, all right, when are you shutting everything down with your sprinklers? You know, our, you know, like our water bills are insane right now because we've got a lot of, it's been a really warm summer for us in Denver. Um, and so we just ended up talking for five minutes about, you know, about some, like in neighboring, small things make a big difference. Yeah. You know, there's a football game tonight uh, here about 20 minutes away. You know, CU is playing TCU. And so um, just to like touch base on that, that's like a really small thing. I mean, I'm, I'm 10 years down this road. So now like I'm, I've got a fantasy football league with a bunch of my neighbors and my wife does, they do ladies date night once a month and leave all the guys behind to fend for themselves with all the kids. And we've got, you know, all kinds of different things going on, but that's over like a 10 year time span. When we were first starting, we were just learning names, inviting people to like have a meal in our home, throwing a block party every once in a while on 4th of July or whatever that might look like. Like, just be normal. That's all. You don't have to be somebody you're not. When your neighbor's yard looks like a lot better than yours, ask them what they do over there that, like, you're not doing. Oh, I need to do that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, just be interested. Yeah. Like, your neighbor is out there working on his car all the time. Instead of going and paying, like, $35, you know, at the oil change place to, like, get a new headlight, just ask them and go, like, hey, if I went and got this car, could you help me put this headlight in? Now, these are little small yeah. things that make, yeah. a, that make a giant difference over a period of time. The, you know, just if you need to have something moved, ask your neighbor to help you move it. Like, if, like you know, I need to move something in my garage 10 feet. Could you just give me a hand? Like, so oftentimes the art of receiving is really undervalued when it comes to building relationships. And so I'd encourage people to think about that. Yes. Yes. I love that you guys made that point because I've, I've seen that too. We're almost doing our neighbors a disservice if we're always the givers. Of course, we want to be givers, but it's good to admit your need sometimes. And that gives other people, your neighbors, opportunities to serve as well, which deepens our relationships and connections. That's such a fantastic point that you guys made in the book. Yeah. And, you know, to go a little bit deeper, I also uh, really like how you guys talked in the book about moving in conversations because you know, the Lord may open up opportunities for us to grow in relationship with our neighbors. But even then, you know, like you're saying, it doesn't need to be this like, I don't know, big gospel presentation or whatever. It, it can be, you know, just us sharing what's important to us. Can you talk about that a little bit and how just how that can occur naturally? I, lo- I love the way you guys approach that in the book. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, God's really big. So like, people still like come to God because there's a guy with a bullhorn outside of it sporting event screaming God, I'm, like I've heard stories about that right and I mean sure yeah in my context and you gotta figure out your own context what's going on like knocking on somebody's door and like giving them cookies and then trying to like have a gospel conversation with them on the spot does not work it feels really forced and really like fake and so we're just trying to you know Jay and I just both think like people naturally share what they love so like if if I'm around you for an hour, Graham, and you love golf, that's going to leak out. I'm going to figure that out, yes. right? And 
So yep. like we just naturally share things that we love. And so it's part of my story and part of like when people are talking to me, you know, and I am able to talk about like, hey, this is the way we're trying to form our family. These are the things that I'm trying to give my life to. And they're all centered on God and Jesus. And so that stuff comes up and that's normal and natural. I mean, there, there's a neighbor, you know, that just looked at me and was like, all right, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how to live in with, with better, you know, balance in my life. And you guys seem to do that. And it's just a window to talk about, like, yeah, you know, Jesus, we like want, we're trying to like follow the model that Jesus lay out for us. And he's not a very hurried person. In fact, he like seems to like when he's working, he works really hard. And then when he's not working, he doesn't work. And so we're trying to do that. And and like and <laughs> to invite people say, like, you should try that on. Like, see what, you know, what would that look like for you? Is that attractive, you know, to yeah. what you're doing? So it doesn't have to, for me, it's just, I'm becoming friends with people. And at the same time, I'm not ashamed to say, hey, this is what I believe. Um, this is yeah. the way we're trying to orient our family. These are the things that we're trying to do and to just actually um, have relaxed, normal conversations around that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And to say to like, look at my neighbors on Christmas Eve or Easter when they're always like, you know, a lot of them, that's their time. I'm like, Hey, listen, this is a no pressure deal. If you guys want like, we're going to go to church over at this place. If you guys want to come with us, you should. And to, to see like, you know, a bunch of our neighbors come and do that with us is just really normal. It's not something that feels, um, that feels forced at all. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. That's awesome. I love it. One of the things you mentioned earlier, and I was going to touch on this, but I, I thought it'd be good to bring it out. You talked about how you're in it with your kids, which is just so fantastic because we don't want this just to be an exercise among adults. We want to be on mission with our kids as families. Can you talk about what that can look like and what it can do for the health and the life of your family? Yeah, what it can look like is sometimes I'm fighting with my older kids going like, hey, could you just come down for like half an hour? I know all these kids are younger than you right now. Like, can you just come down for, can you give us a half yeah. an hour before you go out with your friends? And just like, come and yeah. hang. We're all going to be down there. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah. hey, it's just it's a, like, this isn't about you. Like, this is about, this is like something that Jesus told us to do. And so could you just take a little bit of time to just pretend like you're engaged? um with you know with our neighbors with younger kids and so i mean that's you know <laughs> yeah that's part of it um there's parts of it where they go through conflicts with you know a neighbor and we're walking with them saying all right what do you think the most loving thing to do here is what does it look like to try to uh be a forgiving person in this moment are there things that we need to talk about with that kid or that you need to have a conversation with about or that our parents need to have a conversation like so it's just, it's just, it's the lab for us to live out the gospel with them and to live out the teachings of Jesus with them. And it's just yeah. every single day it provides opportunities for us to do that. Yeah, that's great. I love when we can do things together and like you said, have all those opportunities. I mean, when you're engaged with people, so many opportunities for sanctification, if I could use that word. And yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness and, and all of that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well. As we start to wrap up here, I don't know if there are any stories you could share, but I know this book's been out for a little while, and I would just love to hear some impacts of you know stories in different families from the book. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, over and over and over again, I, what I hear is, this is really hard, 
this is really powerful and sacred. Hmm. Um, and I don't ever want to go back. Yeah. I mean, that's how I, it's like, it's like having kids. Like, I don't know what your kids are like. Sometimes my kids are hard. There's been hard stuff. And like, <laughs> there's also profound, beautiful things. And I never, I never want to go back. And that's oh. how I feel about being engaged in my own neighborhood. Yeah. And so I, I'll say this, I'll, I'll pivot a little bit from the neighboring stuff as we wrap. I'll give, here's two things that have just had, um, two little practical things have had a, like a massive, massive impact in, in our family. We at the, once a year, we actually let our kids give us a 360 review. We have like these eight to 10 questions that our kids just get to, get to respond to. Um, and we've done this from the time they were little about, you know, yeah. One of you know the you know and some of the questions are on them too. I mean, one of the most profound questions is once a year we ask our kids, "Hey, is there anything that's happened over the course of this last year that we don't know about that you think we should?" Oh, that's good. You know, um, <laughs> we ask our kids, "When do you feel most loved by me?" Mm. Um, and they're writing both to to my, you know to Lauren and to I. That's what's your what's the place that you went to if, this year that if you can go back to one place I went to this year where what would it be? Yeah, um, we asked them to share. Is there anything? What's one thing I could do to love you better? Or is there something that I tend to do or have a habit of doing that that really um, causes you not to trust me as you know as much as you could? It's like these are like uh, we just like we just lay it open. And yeah, it's been it's hard. Sometimes we're seeing those things and we're seeing and the all four kids are like. You know, Dad, you you seem really irritable over the last few months. You know, those are, that's hard to hear, um, but it's also it's shaped us as parents more than anything else. And then the other thing we do, Graham, is uh, New Year's Eve every year we we do a bucket list. So we have a giant post-it note in our living room, and have had one there for the last ten years. And we just let the kids dream about no holds barred of like what's our bucket list things that we want to do this year as a family. Yeah, and so. Uh, like it's, I can take you, the, your viewers can't see this, but like, so this is like my living room right there. <laughs> the bucket list right here. It. And it's, and, and it could be when our kids were young, you know, Emery was like, I want to ride a unicorn. We're like, okay, <laughs> cool. we're going to put that. It's on the list. <laughs> we're going to put it up on the list. But then it's like, you know, Hey, we're going to, we want to go cliff jumping. Um, we want to eat better um, and spend less money eating out this year. You know, we want to leave the country. And so like, and then every, at the end of every year, we go through and we say, all right, which of these we're able to do. We're never able to do them all or barely even half of them. Um, but then we capture the memories for our kids of going, okay, what do you remember about that? And I just write them down so that there's something, we do so much cool stuff with our kids. And I think all the families are like this, but it's easy for it all to become a blur. And so it's just given our family a way to capture yeah. and to retain some of the things that, that we dream about doing together and that we have done together. Yeah. And I think it's built more connectivity between my wife and I and our kids than, than almost anything we've ever mm. done. So I don't, that didn't do a good job answering your question, but I just like, I feel like those are two practical things I just wanted to throw out there. Oh man, that's fantastic. Actually, that makes me think that we need to do a whole other interview on just what the Runyon family does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> aside from neighboring, that's, that's fantastic. Man. I love that. I love all those intentional things. Given your, kids a space to talk about what they've experienced and what they feel man that's foundational stuff like that's the kind of thing that like 
if you don't ask specifically, you may never know until they're like yeah. 40, you know, <laughs> and stuff comes out of the woodwork later. And the fact that you guys are doing that now and giving them that space and the safety and security of knowing that they can speak up and talk about how they feel and stuff, man, that's just, that's, that's next level. I love it. I love it. Well, um, Dave Runyon, this has been a, a pleasure and a joy. Thank you so much for all that you have shared. The book is The Art of Neighboring. Love this book. Pick it up. It will be such a blessing to your family. You know, God has already used this, and I know he's going to continue to use it to help the church be the church and to draw people to himself. So thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Yep. You bet, Graham. It's a lot of fun. I love what you're up to, and keep up the great work. Awesome. Thanks, man. Wow. Don't you just want to be one of Dave and Lauren's neighbors there in Denver and check out those block parties? Dave, such awesome stuff, brother. Thank you for what you and your book are doing for the kingdom. It's so simple, isn't it? But how easily we overlook the fact that we have been called to be good neighbors to those just outside our front door. Let's do this. Break the ice. Have a conversation, engage your neighbors, and let's watch God do awesome things in our neighborhoods for his kingdom and his glory. Amen? Amen. All right, so my song recommendation for this episode is a song called Psalm 90, Satisfy Us With Your Love, a 2021 release from Shane and Shane. This song starts slow, but give it a few listens. Wow, what a blessing it is. You're going to love it. Check it out. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.